Okay, well, welcome back to the show, guys. You are listening to Deep Dive for Life, the show where we take a deep dive into scripture each week. Just wanted to do a quick shout out and say hello from quarantine. Um, We are currently locked away in our little apartment here, and so I have drugged my wife into this. Um, This is Rachel. You want to say hi? Hello. Um, She is my lovely wife, and hopefully our cat doesn't jump into the podcast sometime, but, you know, she likes to mess with things, so we'll see what happens. So this week we are starting a new segment for the podcast called Parable Ponderings. It kind of sounds like a Jeopardy category, to be honest. But we are going to be looking at some of the parables of Jesus, and hopefully we'll be making our way down the list. I have a pretty extensive list here of all of the parables Jesus talked about in his ministry. And so we are going to be going down the list um, one by one, just kind of giving our thoughts on what each parable meant, what it could mean, or even just what it means to us. And we'll go from there. Let's get started. Um, We're going to be starting off in Matthew 13, which for those of you who know is the parable of the sower. Um, I feel like this is a really good starting point for parables because this is one that Jesus actually explains after he says it. Um, And he kind of explains why it is an important parable. And even some people have said that if you don't understand this parable, you will not understand any of the other parables. So I figured this would be a good place for us to start, and then we can move on from there. So if you would, wouldn't mind reading off um, from Matthew 13 for us. All right, so this is Matthew 13, 1 through 23. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. And they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to you in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear their ears, and they have closed their eyes. 
Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred 60 or 30 times what was sown. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning of that parable that was so gratefully read by Rachel here. You can tell she's a teacher. The voice inflection gives it away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so enthusiastic. <laughs> um, there's a lot of seeds that is thrown into different types of soil. Or even, in, or maybe just four different locations. It's not really mm -hmm. all soil here. But he says that the farmer goes out to sow his seed, and when he scattered his seed, some fell on the path, and then the birds came and ate it up. So, what does that look? What would that look like in real life? Somebody, someone who is not rooted, or maybe someone who's just going along with the, the the touchy feely nature of the gospel. Maybe like you know they're in it for the motions and the goosebumps. I almost picture it as people who go to like a youth camp or, you know, some mm. big rally mm -hmm. and they hear, I'm not saying that's always a watered down gospel, but sometimes it is a little touchy filly yeah. and they don't have that foundation. It no can be one, a little uh, prosperity-y. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it is. And they just go to these events and, you know, I mean, I was that way as a kid too, mm -hmm. so I can mm -hmm. totally relate. But they go to these events and they're like, yes, I heard about Jesus. I'm on fire for him. And then two weeks later, because they have no root, they don't have either no one has reached out to them to disciple them or they just don't really have a desire after that week, but they plummet after that. Yeah. So in the parable, it says that the seed is thrown along the path and then the birds come up and eat it. So I almost picture it like, Okay, I'm just going to throw it here. Hopefully it goes somewhere, but then something else comes and grabs it up. So with these kids going to camp, not saying there's anything wrong with camp. I was saved out of youth camp, um, and I'm very grateful for that. But I am saying there are lots of kids sometimes, there are lots of adults that, goes, that go to these events, and it drops right after mm. that. And other things come in and swoop up their hearts in a way, and, yeah, you yeah. know... That seed never even has a chance yeah. to grow those roots. And I would even go a step farther than that because this parable is also meant to encourage the sowers. Mm -hmm. 
for those of us who are sowing the gospel because we see that, hey, it's okay that some of it doesn't take purchase. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that's so important. I mean, I know for me, for several years, I've worked in ministry settings to where I've gone to events, and I've been the one to share the gospel to large groups of people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is very discouraging when you walk away and you're like, did I make an impact? Like, you know, what was... Was that even worth the time? Yeah. And that's awful to even say out loud, but at the same time, that's just the reality of it. Um, ministry is messy. Church is messy. Yeah. Um, Jesus never said it was going to be easy. In fact, he said it was going to be hard. But it is an encouragement just to know it's not up to us. Yeah. You know, we don't save other people. God's the one that does the saving. Yeah. But we just have to be obedient, in a sense, to try to scatter that seeds. But I think it's also kind of a warning, too, you know, just thinking back to what I just said about how sometimes these people, they go to events and they get saved, but they are like the seeds going onto that path or the rocky path or, you know, some of those other place, bad places. Um, sometimes no one ever comes to get them, give the seed the nourishment it needs. Mm. So I must feel like that's also speaking to us as a church that we have failed in that sense. We have not really discipled people the way we need to disciple them. Yeah. We send kids to youth camp, you know. They, they might get saved at youth camp, but we think that's going to be the end. And we never do more than that. We um, go to these events and we teach the gospel or preach the gospel, and then we walk away. Yeah. And there's yeah. no follow-up. Um, I think there's another layer here where... When kids go to these camps, you know, I used to love going to summer camp because it was this loud worship band and we were in this outdoor stadium-like setting and we could just, you know, scream your heart out and you wouldn't hear a thing. Like it was just totally loud and irresponsible and probably, you know, we probably would have gotten yelled at, but... um you know, you have that type of experience at summer camp, right? You have this huge, awe-inspiring, like I said, like goosebumpy experience where you're like, wow, you know, worship can be like this all the time. And then you go to regular church on Sunday. And sometimes it's not that way. And sometimes it's not that way. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just the nature of it, though. I'm not I'm not bashing yeah. churches or anything like that, but that's just, you know... We don't go to church in an outdoor setting. We go to a traditional church. So it's obviously not going to be the same experience. Um, like you go to a like Elevation Worship concert. I guess they, they call it an experience. But you go to an Elevation Worship concert and it sounds a certain way. And then you go back traditional to a traditional church service and it sounds a different way. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of thinking, hey, this is what I wanted and this is what I'm getting. Does that make sense? So yeah. it's a different experience at camp from in a regular church service. And that's not, I'm not saying that either of that's wrong. You need both. Like you need to have the awe-inspiring services and the everyday services. I mean, you, you need both. But I feel like a lot of kids go to camp and it creates a certain experience for them and then they go home, it's kind of scat like scattered on the path here. It's, it's mm -hmm. weak because they're going to be expecting the same result 
over and over again, but then it's not going to be there for them. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, so I think that goes back to, you know, giving them some sort of nourishment some other way. So when we face circumstances like that, when a kid or an adult or somebody goes to this event, they get saved, that's awesome, but their seed is scattered on the path. They don't have that root. How can we as the church make sure that birds, per se, don't come and eat them up? How can we make sure that they receive the spiritual nourishment that they need to be able to go into that good soil and hear God's word um, and grow in it? If I was to answer that question, I would probably phrase it as, well, then we need to, A, know what kind of experience they're having. Because, I mean, how else can we follow up with them later about it if we don't know what they're doing? (laughs) And then, B, we need to... Like you said, I mean, how do you keep birds from snatching them up? You need to give them the nourishment. I mean, that, that should be the focus, is giving them the, the follow-up, the nourishment, the, the fertilizer, in this sense, mm-hmm. to help it grow. And if nothing else, then just to protect them from the birds. Like, that's a whole nother level. I'm even picturing it as, like, somebody picking, picking up the seeds and, like, putting them into a... Little pot. Some good soil. Mm. Yes. Um, so I'm wondering, too, if, you know, when we notice things like that, like when we hear reports, a lot of churches, they have the youth come up in front of the church after youth camp, and they'll talk about their week. But when we hear about a kid making a statement of faith instead of just saying, yay, and shaking their hands, doing more than that, pick them up. Not not physically, because, you know, COVID, we, we got to keep our distance. But, you know, pick them up spiritually. And mentor them, pour into them, and give them a chance to go into that good soil and to build that foundation. I mean, I think about myself when I was a teenager and I had that experience at camp. Somebody was able to pick me up in a sense and mentor me. And I know that I am where I'm at today because of that mentorship. Um, And I do think that's the thing that, I mean, it's not an old problem, but it is a problem in the big C church is we have a lack of mentorship. Mm -hmm. Um, We should have more of the older generation leading the younger generation. And, you know, not even just with huge age gaps, but I'm thinking about people our age in their early 20s leading people who are in college or even in high school because we have been there recently. We know what that's like. Yeah. And that's hard for me because I'm very kid friendly so you know when I go up to a college kid and say hey friend let me tell you about Jesus they yeah no it doesn't work but yeah but (laughs) but this also goes both ways it does whereas the older generation needs to be mentoring down I guess you that's a weird way of saying it hopefully you get what I mean but instead of the older generation mentoring down we also have to have the younger generation mentoring up yes it should be a gift take. Yes, yes. There needs to be a relation, like you said, a relationship mm-hmm. there. I mean, relationships go both ways. No, I I agree. Mentoring is just something that should be a two way thing. Yeah. This past summer, I did a study on mentoring and what the Bible has to say with mentoring, and it talks a lot about how it's like somebody pouring into somebody so that they can pour into somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, But also, most of the time, the mentor gets something out of the mentee. Like, it has to be a relationship. It has to be a give-take. 
um, relationship where both are giving something. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Mentoring is messy. I mean, I think everything, and if we're being real, everything in ministry, everything within the church is going to be messy because we are messy people. But, you know, God loves us in our messiness, and he can use us. Well, also, if we're, if we're just talking about mentorship here, you know, one of the best ways to learn about a subject is to try to teach it. Yes. Because in order to teach a subject, you have to know a lot more about the subject than just surface value. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you just try to go up there and, like, I have done this before, it does not work well. Um, like, go up to make a presentation in front of a group and you have, like, a note card and you're just reading straight off the note card. It doesn't work. You're not getting anybody's attention. I mean, it. it's it's just like, uh, like the next bit of the parable we'll get into where it's shallow soul i mean it's it's boring yeah <laughs> it's it's this is boring um so kind of the blessing of mentorship is that that person kind of needs to know a little bit of something of what they're going to be mentoring about first mm-hmm. or if nothing else then this is a opportunity for you to learn while you're mentoring because yes. Of course, when I said that you have to know something about mentoring, a lot of people would assume that you have to know a lot before you start mentoring. But that's not the truth. Yeah. Like you can, I think one of the best mentoring experiences you can have is when you're mentoring somebody while somebody's mentoring you in a way. Yes. It's almost like, you know, let's imagine I'm mentoring a teenager at this time. Then I would hope that there's somebody else mentoring me and pouring into me. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm going to become drained. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sounds very selfish, but at the same time, we have to remember that we are human. Yeah. Um, but not only that, there might come up an issue with my mentee to where I could, in confidentiality, go to my mentor and say, Hey, this situation has come out up. How can I help this person that I'm pouring into? Yeah. Um, And I mean, that's the way that God has really set it up. If you look through scripture, typically when there is a mentoring relationship, there is somebody else pouring into that person. Yeah, yeah. So I think about Paul and Timothy in the church. So like in First and Second Timothy, when Paul is writing to Timothy, he is mentoring Timothy in that moment. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he talks about how Timothy is being a mentor and an example to other believers. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Paul is saying, here, let me help you as you help others. We are being blessed so we can bless. Yes. And that's not just financially. No. That's also spiritually, Mm -hmm. um, with knowledge, everything. And speaking of knowledge, let's move on to the second part of our parable here. Uh, We talked about um, the seed being scattered onto the path, Mm -hmm. and the birds came to ate it up. Now, the second part talks about how some of the seed falls on rocky places where it doesn't have much soil and it springs up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root, which kind of feeds off of the first section a little bit here. So there, this, is, this is kind of the, the evolution of it. Because we had no soil to start with. And now we have a little bit of soil, but it's rocky. Yeah. It's not enough. There's some, there's some competing values here. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that more with thorns. But like, there's some things impeding the um, soil from being good soil. 
And then it says the sun comes, which, I mean, I mean, the sun always comes. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. So I really like the way that Luke writes Jesus' explanation of this part of the parable. So in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, the Bible says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Mm. So I'm going to go back to my analogy earlier. Not really my analogy, my picture earlier of kids going to youth camp. And people going to these events getting saved. Sometimes it's people who have grown up in church and, or maybe they were like, you know, they were really close to believing and getting saved for a very long time. And then finally it just clipped yeah. while they're at this event, this which is may, This great. probably is, this might not be their first rodeo. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was great. So they're there at youth camp. They receive the word and they receive it with joy. Just like what it says in this parable. They receive it. They're excited about it. Which I would recommend. Yes. And they are on this spiritual high, mm. which feels great. I've been there before. I remember every year in June when we went to a youth camp. Man, I knew that spiritual high was coming. But then two weeks later, it would usually plummet. Because... Yeah. Just like in Jesus' explanation in um, Luke, testing would come. Um, Some sort of temptation will come up. And in that testing, it kind of shows me where my heart truly is. And in those times, you know, I would unfortunately choose something that wasn't so great. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't choose what the Word of God says. And it's because of that lack of root. Because I was... My seed was planted into a rocky place. So I don't have those nutrients. I don't have the word of God um, constantly in my life. It goes back to that mentorship we talked about earlier. In those times looking back, I may have had somebody who was trying to pour into me, but I wasn't receiving it. Mm. So in a way, I wasn't allowing that nutrients to come into the soil that I was planted into. And I fell flat on my face when those yeah, temptations yeah. came. Well, we see that if we think of another analogy, like New Year's resolutions. Oh, yes. Right? They last about two weeks. Everyone everyone starts out all gung-ho, thinking some big change is going to happen. And then, like, you know, research shows anywhere from two to five weeks later, you're no longer doing it. I drank water for the first two days of this year. Yeah. And now I've... I'm on like my third thing of sparkling water today. So there's that. Yeah. Well, it is still water though, at least. Yeah, right? it's better than Dr. Pepper. So yeah. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> but there are some things that we have started in the new year that we have kept going. I mean, I like the fact that we started doing a year-long Bible read and we've we've kept pretty, um, pretty on point with that. I mean, we'll miss a day or two, but... It's still January. It's still January. <laughs> but um, uh, going back to what you're saying about when troubles come. I mean, I I think of this, I'm a very financial person. I I like numbers and things. And so to me, this really reflects in tithing. I mean, you know, you start out us grasping the seed to start and then holding on to it for a little while thinking, yeah, this is going to be great. And then suddenly 
something else comes up that carries our priorities more. I mean, that's what I think the stones are here. Um, they are bigger priorities in our life. And then, you know, obviously the seed can't move any farther because there are other things in the way, which leads into the next section. So we're kind of evolving more here. Um, Before we get there. Oh, oh. you just, you just ruined my segue. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) When you were talking, I started thinking about, you know, what are some ways that we as a church can help the new believers, people who are who have that seed that is scattered on the rocky place? How can we help these people who have this new faith that plummets quickly because of these temptations? And then I started thinking about something that I've heard from a few leaders in the church before that... You know, when we are building these ministries within the church, we don't need to be building cruise ship ministries. Yeah. Instead, we need to build battleship ministries. Yeah. And I feel like in a way, um, not to bash any church at all, but just the big C church, we have gotten lazy Mm. with our ministries. We want to teach all the good things about... um, Christian life, that, you know, you will have joy and that, you know, good things will come to you. You'll be blessed forever, which is all true. That is all 100% true. You will have joy that you can't explain. You will be blessed in ways, but at the same time, there are going to be hard times. Yeah. In that joy, sometimes your joy is not going to look like someone else's joy. Yeah. Sometimes your joy is going to be, you know, losing your job, but still seeing God's hand in that. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's going to be tough. I mean, there are days that, you know, sometimes just being real, that I want to walk away from the faith because it would be easier. Yeah. Sometimes we give these new believers. It's a false sense of reality. Yes, false sense of reality. Yeah. That's a better way of saying it. The, there is hope, but we don't, we aren't real with them. Yeah. And I almost feel like we need to cut out all the um, lovey-dovey stuff in a way. <laughs> Maybe not completely cut it out, but at least be real yeah, and say, yes, this is the best decision you can ever make in your life, but let me show you some ways that you can try to combat against the things that will make you fall. Yeah, Let me show you how to find joy in the hard times, but let me also be real with you and tell you about my hardships in my faith so yeah. that you know that you can come to me when those times do come up. Because mm-hmm. I do think sometimes new believers... When they start slipping away, they're afraid to say something because they're it's afraid. It's a sign of weakness. Yes. And they're afraid of, you know, being honest and saying, hey, I'm struggling because they're seeing all these people who are at youth camp were like, yeah, you know, I've got Jesus on my shoulder and I'm so much better. I'm holier than now. Even if they don't mean for it to come across that way, I think sometimes new believers, they become int- intimidated to a point that they're afraid to speak up when those troubles start coming. So then they... Do even though they spring up quickly, like in the parable, they fall away quickly. Yeah, they're scorched by the sun. They're scorched by those hard times. Yeah, I mean, even this parable will tell you, like birds come, the sun's coming. I mean, it'll show you that. I mean, there are blessings here, but they're not always what we would perceive as good blessings. Does that make sense? Um, we recently have been reading in um, Genesis. 
And at the towards the end of Genesis, we have Israel who blesses his sons, who blesses his twelve sons. Well, if you just so happen to read that, which I think it's in either it's Genesis fifty four. It's towards the end. Yeah, it's somewhere somewhere towards the end there. If you actually read the blessings that he gives his sons, they're not all good. Some of them are positive, and some of them are negative. But they're still all called blessings. So that, to me, says that blessings to us may not always seem good in the moment. But they are still all blessings. Well, I mean, I even think about this quarantine time, for example. Yeah, yeah. I... I was not very happy when we started quarantine because I enjoy teaching in my classroom. I enjoy going to work. I enjoy going, being on the go. But at the same time, it has been a blessing because I am on the go so much. I don't get to spend as much time at home. I have been able to relax just a little bit more. I've been able to sleep in a little bit more. So those are things that, you know, even though this has all been a little frustrating, to not be able to leave the house is also been a time for God to say, hey, Rachel, slow down. So in a way, yeah. he's been using this hard time to bless me. And I think that's so important for us to realize as believers and to just make sure that we also tell these new believers um, that, you know, your blessings aren't going to always look like blessings. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be hard. And like I said earlier, there are going to be days that you want to walk away from the faith. But there is hope, you yeah. know. We just have to change your perspective um, and focus on him. So the third, again, this this is this is an evolution process here. We're kind of going another layer deep here. Um, other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. It's a little bit of a scary picture. Yeah, um, it it kind of builds off of the. Which it doesn't tell us what type of soil it is, so we'd imagine that it's good soil, mm-hmm. but there are weeds. Yeah, <laughs> there there are thorns um, that will grow up along with the plant, and then choke the plant out. So going back to Luke's account of this parable, in Luke chapter eight, verse fourteen, Jesus says. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So I'm going back to where it says cares and riches and pleasures of life. You know, those things don't have to be bad. Riches doesn't have to be bad. Cares doesn't have to be bad. Pleasures of life doesn't have to be bad. Those are neutral things. But mm. when we let those things come between us and God, that's when it becomes something bad. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of see it as, you know, like you said, the seed may have gone into good soil. Yeah. But there were other things around it that distracted the seed, that took the seed away from what it really needed and choked it, like literally choked it and killed it so that it can't grow, so it can't have those roots. And that's honestly terrifying. Yeah, but I think this is this may be the most real depiction oh, of yes. modern day Christianity in this parable though, because you have this seed that goes into potentially really good soil, so we could have had a really great experience 
and they're growing, obviously. But then someone, something or someone else comes in and chokes out their belief. Yeah. This may be people with not so good of a witness that come into your life and persuade you to align with their beliefs. Or um, this could be um, like competing things. I mean, like you said, riches and um, pleasures of life that come along. And I mean, those can all be great things, like you said, but those are all tools. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think riches. I mean, money is nothing but a tool. It has no moral value. I mean, it's it's just a thing. It, the value is what we give to it. So if we give it more value than our faith, then it will become this thorn that comes on alongside us. And we may it may be sneaky. Like, we may not even notice it at first because it doesn't choke you out immediately. It's a slow process. I mean, how do you boil a frog, right? slowly over time um so this is one of the things where it is growing alongside you and then chokes you out yeah so this to me is the realist depiction of modern day christianity in this parable now the rest of these are still good but like because this this is it's the most real to me anyway i mean through my christian experience i've seen a lot of this go on um, whether it be like conflicting worldviews or other Christians being bad witnesses. This also speaks to the mentors here mm-hmm. um, to say, hey, make sure that you are not one of these people. Make sure that you are not one of these thorns choking out the good seed or the, the good plant. I don't really know, I don't really know what it would be here, but uh, he doesn't tell us what the seed is. Um, but you know, it's just, it's just a word of warning also to both the mentors and the mentees that, Hey, we need to make sure that we are being good witnesses, good mentors and to the mentees, Hey, watch out for all of these other thorns that are growing up around us. And I think it could even be a warning to the mentors just to be aware of these thorns that could choke out these new believers so that like we talked about earlier about how the church needs to surround these new believers um, Uh when the seeds start to fall on the path or rocky soil wherever the seeds fall we as the church need to be aware of that and you know if we're aware of these thorns being around these weeds being around these new believers we need to in a way protect them Mm -hmm. you know be real with them but also be loving and encouraging in a way that even though those things might try to come and choke out these new believers, we can put a hedge of protection around them and we can show them what scripture says and how to build their faith. Well, look at, look at a real world example of this, right? You plant seeds and then what do you do? Like they, they make this, uh, it's like a type of fabric that oh, like, yeah. covers the ground and keeps weeds from growing up around it. It's almost like we need to be that. Yes, we need to believers. we need to be that barrier. And I, I think that there are a lot of biblical values that we could be teaching these younger Christians that can be that barrier. Now, it's not going to block everything. I mean, we, we, we can't block everything, but we can kind of set the foundation um, for these Christians to grow. And that's kind of what the next one talks about is whenever... Christians can grow the way they're supposed to. Um, 
it starts at verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Um, whoever has ears, let him hear. It's kind of odd that he mentions a hundred, sixty, and thirty times. That is so encouraging, though, because I think about some of the places that I've gone to before and I've shared the gospel, and, you know, maybe there's... 80, 90 kids Mm. at this place. That's awesome. But then only like maybe one or two respond. And I know through and through in scripture, um, God talks about how he will go out to find the one lost sheep. And it's very important that even if one person responds to the gospel, that's amazing. But at the same time, when you, you know, go to these places and you share the gospel with that many people and you only see maybe one or two people respond, it can be a little... It can be exciting, but it can also be a little discouraging because then yeah, you're thinking, yeah. I know not everyone in this room is saved. So that's very, like, you know, sometimes it's like, what did I do wrong? But that's not the case. But also to think, okay, it may just be one or two people in this moment that are responding, but just imagine, you know, if this seed is falling on good soil, how much of an impact that's going to make. Because then, you know, if they receive God's word and they grow and they become strong Christians, then they're going to go out and they're going to go tell others. Yeah. And that's going to plant another seed. And then that seed is going to go in good soil and that's going to plant another seed and so forth. Um, And it's just amazing to think. I know a couple of years ago, I met a little girl I led to Christ, gosh, maybe six or seven years ago. And... I saw her again, it was probably about two years ago, but in just a few years between the time that she received the gospel for the first time and the time that I, you know, was able to catch up with her, she was telling me about all these friends at school that she had shared the gospel with. Yeah. So to me, that was such an encouragement to know that even though there are days that I fail miserably there is this one child who I had the great opportunity of sharing God's love with who has been able to make an impact on others with the same gospel. Mm -hmm. So that's just so encouraging to me that, you know, even if it's just one seed that falls on good soil, man, it can produce such an amazing thing. It can grow into something so much greater than we could ever imagine. Yeah. Like, like we said earlier, this is also an encouragement for the sowers. Yeah. Because whereas there is the chance that the seed can fall on bad soil or bad ground or however you want to say it, there is still the possibility that it falls in a good soil and that it can be nurtured and it can grow from there. And then they can, in turn, sow seeds themselves and repeat the process. I mean, this is kind of the original multi-level marketing scheme here. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are we are called to be disciples to make disciples, right? Think about um, one of the songs that we sing with our kids in the summer, Itty Bitty Seeds, and I won't sing, but the Thank lyrics you. just say, the word of God is like itty bitty seeds scattered all around. You've got some in the road, some in the weeds, but everywhere you look, you've got itty bitty seeds. And the song's kind of silly, but at the same time, it does have some truth in it. Um, later on in the song, in another verse, it says, um, the word of God is like big honking trees. And basically, it's the same thing, just big honking trees. But the point of that is just to show that 
even though these seeds are scattered. Some go in the road, some go in the weeds, but there are itty bitty seeds everywhere. Some of those seeds will grow and they will come to fruition. Um, You mean fruition? Fruition, yes. I mean, I guess they bear bear fruit, right? So (laughs) fruition. (laughs) You're not going to edit that out, are you? (laughs) Fruition. 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 Okay, so in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. I, until now, I never really noticed the word patience at the end of it, but thinking about what we talked about earlier, about how just, you know, it's messy being a Christian. It's messy um, in the church. It's messy with ministry just in general. But then it says, those who, the, those who are planted into the good soil, they bear fruit with patience. Yeah. It's a process. Mm-hmm. I mean, getting, when, when you're saved, you're saved. There's no process about that. It's just, you make that decision and there's that. But there is a process of growing in your faith. Yeah. And becoming closer to God and bearing fruit is a process. That is that is not something that happens overnight. So with that, I think it's so important for us to teach that to new believers. Yeah. And just make sure they understand that, you know, you're not going to go from point A to point Z overnight. It's going to take a while for you to grow in your faith. And that is okay. It is okay if you don't know everything. It is okay if you slip up and make mistakes. It is okay if it's hard for you to trust God sometimes. It's hard for me to trust God sometimes. And I've been a Christian for a while. I've grown up in church my whole life. But the thing is, it is a process. Um, And we as the church, we as mentors, need to pour into these new believers and make sure that they understand that it is okay. Yeah. Just because you mess up doesn't mean that you were the seed that fell onto the bad soil. Yeah. You know, let's, you know, in in teaching, we talk about the process of learning and how we need to focus on the process and not necessarily the product. And in the same way in the Christian life, you know, we, we are focused on the product because, you know, if you're not saved, then that stinks. But it's also a process in the growth that happens. Yeah. Well, let me. That was the ESV version. Let me give you the NIV version here. But the seed on good soils stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Oh. Changes it around just a little bit. I think it's the same meaning overall, but uh, that's, that's just a different spin on it, saying to retain it. As opposed to the ESV version, which says to hold fast in it. But that also gives it another meaning because Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about with teaching, when we teach content to children, I can stand up in front of my class all day long and try to teach something to them. But if they don't retain it, if they can't go home and, you know, be able to tell their parents about it, or if they can't be able to show that they understand it on a test, Mm -hmm then it doesn't matter what I taught Mm -hmm. because they're not holding on to it. They're not actually learning. They're just hearing it. And um, 
I know earlier in the passage, when Jesus was explaining why he gives these parables, he says, I'm telling these parables because people are hearing, but they're not really listening. Yeah. They don't understand. The word, my words are basically falling onto deaf ears. I'm sure that was very frustrating for Jesus because he's like, yo, I'm just trying to tell you. Well, you know? <laughs> I mean, but he also understood that, yeah. well, he's Jesus. Yeah. I mean, he's talking on a different plane. Yeah. <laughs> he, he has a whole different level of understanding than we do. Yeah. So he understood that. But that's also why we have the parables in the Bible here for us to read. Yeah. Because I'm sure we think of this in a whole different light than the original hearers would have taken it. Oh, yeah. Well, and I'm also thinking, too, so we've talked a lot about how we as a church can feed into these new believers thinking about where these seeds are being thrown in the not-so-great soil. Mm -hmm. So thinking now about helping these new believers retain the the Word of God and hold fast to it. Mm Mm-hmm. How can we as the church ensure that these new believers are given the nutrients that they need to be able to grow? Well, I think the answer lies in the question. You have to make sure that you're giving them good nutrients. Because, I mean, we we are called to be the support system for these new believers or the the screening process or however we've explained it so far. Um, But we are... We are the foundation for them to fall back on. So what what does that mean? That we need to be supplying them with a good foundation. That we need to be supplying them with uh, the, the good nutrients that they need. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm thinking back to the analogy you used earlier about, you know, when you want to protect a plant from weeds, you put that weird little sheet thing over it. I don't know what it's called. I obviously do not have a green thumb. But anyway, that is like giving a battleship ministry versus a cruise ship ministry. You know, we want to supply these new believers with things that they can use to guard against these things, guard against temptations and um, troubles and anything that may want to choke them out using the words from the parable or, you know, or draw them away from the Word of God, because um, man, I mean, if I haven't said it enough, I'll say it again. Being a Christian is hard, and we need to make sure that we are helping these new believers, especially today, in today's times. So we've kind of given a bit of an overview of this parable, a bit of a talk about this parable, a bit of a uh, parable pondering, if you will, <laughs> about what this parable means to us um, what it could mean in general. It's, I mean, we've looked at a bunch of different themes today just from this one little section of Scripture here. So you can kind of see what we're trying to accomplish here is to encourage discussion about these parables, to encourage a discernment about these things, to encourage discipleship about these things, because we are called to be sowers. But then at the same time, we are called to be the foundation for those we sow to. You've been listening to Deep Dive for Life. Thank you so much for tuning in to our show this week. We'll be back next week with another bit of scripture to dive into. Remember to reach out to us at deepdiveforlife at gmail.com with any questions you may have for us to cover in the show. Thanks again.
And remember to keep diving, friends. Thank you.